Hello and welcome to The HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello, and welcome to The HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the Alta Del Mar Coastal Community case and its impact on the Community Association. We'll be doing that with Jeff Beaumont. Jeff Beaumont is a senior partner with Beaumont Tajin. He has more than 20 years of experience representing common interest developments. He's an active member of CACM and CAI and has served as a delegate for the California Legislative Action Committee and numerous boards of directors of CAI. I've known Jeff for about 20 years now, and he's one of the most respected folks in our industry here in California. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me here, Ryan. So talk to us about the Alta Del Mar coastal community case. What was this case about? Because I have not heard of it. This is a really interesting case. And to be honest, a case that we've really needed to come down for many years. And, And it's about the Open Meeting Act of the Civil Code which, as you know, comes from the Davis-Sterling Act. And what it did for the first time is address behavior of board members outside meetings through email. And this is a very, very hotly contested area, not just amongst the legal profession, but just volunteer board members struggling with how to use email effectively. Jeff, when you say how to use email, would that include things like proving insurance quotes? outside of a board meeting? Exactly. How, how far can a board go engaging in business via email on behalf of the association, whether it's approving insurance quotes or landscape proposals, or even discussing an upcoming meeting and formulating the agenda? And it's really been one of those areas that boards have struggled to manage and, and really understand how far a board can go by email. And frankly, you know, over the years, practitioners, legal practitioners, myself and my colleagues have pretty much universally um, stood behind the proposition that boards cannot engage in any communications, let alone actions, but communications as well, outside board meetings via email. So of any nature, approving a, a proposal, talking about how we might uh, address a certain issue or any unit owner. Exactly. And what that has led to is a sense of, I think, uh, struggle with some boards taking that very, very seriously and strictly and not engaging in any communications and other boards um, really struggling with that and trying to um, address certain things that come up in between meetings, knowing that um, inside they feel they're violating the law. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's been a struggle. And in this case, which came out of San Diego, by the way, that some of the most interesting and, and uh, colorful colorful cases come out of those that, are, that have 10 homes. And this is one of them, 10 homes in this community. Wow. With five board members. So 50% of the members are on the board. Wow. So, so just 10 members and all it takes is one of them, right? It, it, exactly. In this case, it was actually two of the homeowners filed two lawsuits. The, the first lawsuit sought to um, overturn an election. And then the second lawsuit, same owner, homeowners sued for uh, violations of the Open Meeting Act. Okay. Alleging that some of the business they conducted was uh, inappropriate because it was conducted via email. 
Exactly. And, and I think what um, spurred this lawsuit was a dispute over one of these homeowners um, submitting an architectural application and not being happy with the way it was being processed. And so through this litigation, the homeowners alleged that the board violated the Open Meeting Act by engaging in email discussions in violation of the act, claiming that those email discussions were prohibited under the civil code. They also um, attacked the board for addressing certain things in executive session that should not have been addressed in executive session. Because as you know, boards are very limited as to what can be addressed in executive session board meetings. And that was a, a second point that they had in their lawsuit. A third one was that the board was not maintaining minutes of their meetings, which is required by the civil code as well. So those are the big three. But the one big takeaway here, the um, shocker here to the legal community was how the court treated board members discussing association business by email. And that's what really stood out in this case. So this uh, wasn't just a, a regular court case. This was challenged and went to the appeals court. How far did it, it all the way to the state Supreme Court? Great question. The, the trial court decision was in favor of the association, finding that there was no violation of the Open Media Act. The homeowners appealed that to the fourth appellate district court of appeal, um, which came down in August of this year, 2023. And that court made an ultimate decision. There's no indication that's going to be appealed to the California Supreme Court. So it looks like this is going to be um, law, which is based on this case being published. And what this court ultimately held is that the email communications did not violate the Open Meeting Act. Jeff, can you real quick just kind of explain what case law is as opposed to a law passed by the legislator? Sure, sure. That's a great question. The legislature passes law that results in statutes. So as you know, the Davis-Sterling Act is a chapter of the civil code that's um, devoted to regulating common interest developments, whether it's a condo, planned development, stock co-op, or community apartment complex. So those laws come out of Sacramento, which we monitor and, and address um, on an annual basis. Case law is different because that law comes out of the courts through actual facts where parties have disputes and living in a civilized society as we do, at least today, right? We take our disputes to court and judges make decisions or juries. Essentially challenging the statutes or the civil code that, that already exists. Challenging or interpreting those statutes a certain way, um, whether to your favor um, or to adverse to the other party, right? So in this case, the homeowners were trying to interpret the Open Meeting Act to say, hey, these boards by engaging in email outside board meetings violated the Open Meeting Act. So the judge was left with the ultimate obligation to determine and interpret the Open Meeting Act as to these facts, which were whether or not these emails violated the Open Meeting Act. Interesting. So directors can now feel comfortable emailing each other without violating the Open Meeting Act. Is there a, a limitation on what they should feel comfortable communicating? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really what we really have to focus on, because if you break this decision down, it becomes clear how the court got here. And 
when you look at that, it makes it even more clear why boards still need to be very careful. And, and I'll, I'll kind of break it out right now real quick. Sure. The court first looked at the Open Meeting Act and the definition of a meeting. And it looked at the two definitions. One is a congregation at the same time and place of a sufficient number of directors to establish a quorum of the board to hear, discuss, deliberate upon any item of business that falls within the authority of the board. Then the court looked at the other definition of a meeting, which is on a simplified a teleconference meeting where a sufficient number of directors are together um, by telephone or video and they can hear uh, one another and to discuss association business. Now, you may think, well, why do they start with the definition of meetings? Because if you have a meeting, then you have to post notice and go through the procedural requirements under the Open Meeting Act. The homeowners that filed this lawsuit said the exchange of emails is a board meeting. And that's where the court really broke down these definitions and ultimately came to the conclusion that no, when you're exchanging emails in cyberspace, there's no ability to congregate. And the court went through this deep analysis of the definition of congregation. And I'd like to, to read a small insert from this decision, which I think provides more color to where the court was coming from. The court said, we think it is clear from the words chosen that in enacting the Open Meeting Act, the legislature had in mind the traditional board meeting of a homeowners association. That is where the directors gather in the same room with homeowners to talk about and to act on matters of association business. Hence, by sending emails to one another through cyberspace, often hours or days apart and from different homes and offices, the association's directors did not simultaneously gather in one location to transact board business. So it was interesting how the court really broke down that definition to find that these email communications did not constitute a meeting and therefore there's no violation of the Open Meeting Act. But, but then the court went further and said, but hold on, that doesn't mean board members can use email to take action. We're just talking about communicating. The court was very, very disciplined to emphasize there's still only three methods upon which a board can take action. That's in an open board meeting, an executive session board meeting, focusing only on those limited issues that could be discussed in executive session, and by email only to address emergencies. Those are the only three methods of taking action. The court said all these other email communications that these homeowners were challenging were just discussions and not meetings. What I take away from that is the keyword emergencies, right? What constitute an emergency? Is that what uh, you think might be vital here? Yes, absolutely. And what do you think constitutes an emergency? Well, the, the code does give us some um, guidance there, and it focuses on the timing required to post notice of a meeting. So if, Ryan, we're going to have a board meeting this evening, and it's an open board meeting in our community, we would have had to post notice four days ago. Well, let's say we posted notice four days ago, but then two days later, something came up that we have to act on. We can't wait another four days. We have to act on it. That's an emergency, something that we could not have anticipated when we posted that notice. 
and something that can't wait an additional four days for a new meeting. That's an emergency that qualifies for action by email. And even by taking action by email, every board member has to agree by email that it's an emergency. And then once there's unanimous agreement that it's an emergency, then a majority of the board by email can approve that action. Okay, that that brings up another question that I've run up against, uh, especially in the current insurance environment being as tumultuous and unpredictable as it is. You know, we used to be able to get renewal quotes, you know, a month prior to renewal so that uh, boards would have enough time to review, post the notice, they could set their meeting ahead of time. That's not really the reality anymore. So I've heard some attorneys say that they feel comfortable if a board of directors were to taking action, appoint in their board meeting a committee to then decide or approve the insurance renewal, which might not be at that open meeting. Do you think that would be okay via email? Yes, that's a a very, very viable option because what the board is doing is it's exercising its authority to create committees. In your case, it would be, for example, like an ad hoc insurance committee or even just to delegate authority to certain board members. It doesn't even have to be a committee. And through that delegation or through that committee formation, uh, the board would be able to take action as an arm of the board to that committee or through those board members outside a board meeting, because as long as that action is being made by less than a majority of the board, the Open Meeting Act doesn't apply. Through that delegation or through that committee, those people making that decision would still be protected because they're acting still within the course and scope of their duties as a board member. So the action that the board took was taken in the open meeting, and it was to find a committee, name a committee that will then take that action further and make the decision via email. Exactly. Interesting. And, and that's a great option, especially in today's um, insurance climate, where you have these issues come up but that are very time sensitive. Uh, the board can delegate to two board members through a committee, or the board can delegate through just two board members without a committee. Um, it's always better to have a committee because then you can better manage you know, the, the structure of the committee it's a its purpose, its authority, what it can and can't do. So that is the best option there. Question for you. If you, you know, say a board of directors were to name an ad hoc committee to handle any kind of an issue that comes up, insurance, some contract of some regard or another, and then they're handling that via email, if there are a majority of the board members on that email, would it then nullify the ad hoc committee kind of a ask by? That's like a law school question you just threw there. At me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a great question because part of me wants to say, no, it's still a decision solely being made by those committee members, which falls within their authority. It's still outside the Open Meeting Act. It's less than a majority of the board. But if a majority of the board are on that email, it muddies the water. And I don't like that. So I'd rather have it clean where the committee makes the decision and then later transmits that decision to a majority of the board. And remember, let's go back to the Alta Del Mar case. The, the court held that boards can now communicate by email in between meetings. This means um, sharing information, sharing ideas. And so in that case, the board would be able to 
receive emails from those committee members about the renewal process status and what decisions have been made. That makes a lot of sense. So what would you say are the best practices for boards going forward as far as their email communications go? Well, I, I hate to take the wind out of our sails and uh, interrupt the party here, but if you read this case, it goes through pages and pages of quotations. It lists all the emails that were the subject of the lawsuit verbatim. So point one, as a board member, as anybody that works with boards and really anything you do in your life, just remember anything you send by email can show up in a published court decision. So, so with that concept, you know, I, I still am of the strong opinion that boards should not be using email to communicate. And if they do, it should be very, very structured through a policy that the board adopts governing email communications. Interesting. That's uh, terrifying. Don't be on the six o'clock news, right? Right. I mean, everything's discoverable, right? So everything you send by email can show up in court and be used against you or your community. So look, we're just volunteers. When I say we, the volunteer board members. And if sending emails is prudent and efficient to share information that you investigated with your fellow directors, great. But as soon as you start going back and forth, it's just a slippery slope. And really, you need to be careful because that email communication can be used against you and the association. And it could ultimately result in unintended consequences where there could be decisions made by the board through those discussions without you really even knowing it. And it'd just be a, a big risk to just all of a sudden now, because of this case, start emailing each other on anything and everything. So in summary, it kind of sounds like you're saying, take comfort in this court case that you can email one another to get business done, take the appropriate precautions as far as naming committees, if need be, to approve things via email, and at the same time, be very cautious in what you put via email because anything could end up discoverable in a court case. Exactly. Jeff, I am both uh, relieved and alarmed by this wonderful information you've given us today. Anything else you'd like to add? That really sums it up perfectly. It's a great decision and brings some clarity whether or not it's exactly what we wanted or not. Um, that's another story, but it definitely addresses a issue that's been deserving attention for many years. And uh, if your board of directors is not careful, you could end up the next case law, right? There you go. Well, Jeff, where can our listeners go to reach you and learn more about your firm? Oh, our firm is throughout Southern California, and we can be reached at our website, which is hoaattorneys.com, or our phone number, which is 866-788-9998. And I'm grateful for uh, you inviting me and appreciate everything you're doing for our great industry. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff. Jeff Beaumont of Beaumont Tajin. And that's our show for today. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. 
The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.